So, <clears throat> if you follow the news, you know that the Queen died this week, right? I didn't just shock anybody with that, right? It's not the first you're hearing that. Um, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I thought it was interesting. Um, she died in Scotland. And, uh, you know, the Queen of England is the head of the Church of England. Did you know that? She is, you know. And in case, you know, dig at uh, Episcopalians and Anglicans, you know, if Henry VIII's the founder of your church, you have a lot of room to be uh, humble. But, um, <laughs> right? I'll just leave that out there, but that's the truth, uh, which actually might be a good thing, right? Um, but uh, uh, because Scotland is a part of England, when uh, the Queen is in Scotland, which she is was six months or so out of the year, she attended uh, a church, the Church of Scotland, and she has a, a, a and she has a role in the Church of Scotland. You know what it is? Member. Yeah, she's just a member, um, which uh, I, f I find fascinating because I think if I could go to a church where I was the boss or a church where I was just a member, which one would I choose? Oh, I'd want to be the boss. But um, yeah, so I just, uh, and that's why on her way uh, to London uh, today, they're going to stop at a number of churches, uh, uh, Church of Scotland churches to to return her, uh, her, her body to London. So, uh, because in the Presbyterian Church, which is the Church of Scotland, uh, uh, there is only one head of the church, and it's Jesus Christ. So, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, I, that, that, was news, uh, that, that was news to me this week, and so probably, you know, a, a tiny tidbit of useless information for you, too, as you go about your week this week as well. But I just thought that was interesting. So we're going to look uh, for the next 11 weeks, 77 days, at uh, John chapter 3. And uh, this morning, we're going to read the first 10 verses uh, and I'm not going to dig a lot into the text itself today, but I need to give you um, a, a reason for why I'm doing this. Uh, and the reason connects to the text, uh, but it also, I think, will help kind of establish kind of uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it for the next uh, 11 weeks. So before I read today's text, let me pray. Father, we come to you today confessing, as we've already uh, sung, uh, that um, there's so many good things in this world uh, that uh, because we attach ourselves to them, our fear of losing them blots out uh, who you are and who we are. Lord, we confess to you, um, and it's hard for us to confess. We would like to confess the things that we have some sense of control over or uh, that we're not embarrassed to say, uh, but we need to confess things that are embarrassing. Uh, we need to confess things that are hard to talk about. Um, and so I pray that you would help us with that today. Uh, as we look 
at your interaction uh, with Nicodemus. I pray that you would interact with us by your spirit. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Uh, the text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you're familiar with this text. And so when I read that to you, it doesn't strike you as offensive. But it should. Jesus is not messing around. Nicodemus comes and says these very complimentary things to him, and Jesus says, not having it, you better be born again. Right? Interesting. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Um, so we're going to spend 11 weeks. Uh, we'll we'll uh, expand the text out. We'll get to the great text of John 3.16 in a few weeks um, uh, to look at this. But it's important for us, I think, at this particular uh, point in our history as a church and our history as a church, Big C, um, and where we are today, to look at this and to look at this interaction with Jesus. Um, because my hope and my prayer as we look at what Jesus says here to Nicodemus and how he handles him and, and, and the work that he is getting at here would change us. Because you and I are dying to be changed. We're dying for God to change us. Now, you hear that and you think, what in the world? What is he talking about? I don't, I don't know, you know. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I really need God to change that thing over there or this thing over here. But what we see in this text and what we see the gospel doing is it breaks through all of those things. It shatters our... Uh, thoughts. It shatters our kind of way in which we can manage Jesus, just as Nicodemus is trying to manage Jesus, and gets to the heart of the matter. We have a contemporary view of Jesus uh, that says, uh, 
you know, we, we like a Jesus who makes our enemies mad and who comforts us. Right? We like a Jesus who tolerates our foibles and failures, but tosses the tables on the guys we don't like. Right? Um, and, and one of the things that we miss about the Gospels, because we're so familiar and we've sanitized, pasteurized, and homogenized all of this, is that Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. And if you have a Jesus who never offends you, if you have a Jesus to whom you never say, how can these things be? You haven't met this Jesus. You can go ahead and put my, my notes up there, Luke. So, um, and so I want to ask the question, you know, what would personal revival and renewal look like for you and me? Because that's what Jesus is getting at here in this text when he speaks about new birth and the power of the, the, the wind of the spirit that might blow through your life, through my life. What would that look like? How would that change things, right? And so one of the things that I want to say right at, at the very outset is, um, and you need to be prepared for this, and, and uh, I, I would submit to you this morning that if God were to happen to use his word preached over the next 11 Sundays to renew you, the way you will know that you're taking a step towards renewal or maybe even conversion is confusion. Because often what has to happen to us is for us to be renewed is we have to shed and be challenged of the things that have kind of morphed in our mind into what the gospel actually is and what the work of God really is in the world. And so what I hope to do by looking at this interaction with Jesus and this, as we'll see in a few minutes, Russell Moore calls this anxious teacher who comes by night, is that God would change us. You probably didn't walk in here today thinking that you needed to be changed but you do, you do, we all do. And so that's my hope and uh, my prayer in this. And I, you know, I know, wow, that is, that's a big ask. That's a big thing to talk about. Well, uh, frankly, uh, it's time we talk about some big things and we get down to brass tacks about who it is that this Jesus is that we claim uh, to worship. And so that's why I want us uh, to do this. One of the things, uh, when, uh, when I did my uh, doctor of ministry a million years ago, one of the things that I learned about, one of the uh, uh, eras of church history that I learned about was the 1903 to 1905 revival in Wales. 
not belugas, but the region in the United Kingdom uh, known as Wales, the Welsh Revival. Um, it began by a 10-year-old uh, girl standing up in a tiny little church in a coal town in Wales saying, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. And the Spirit of God swept through uh, uh, Wales and the, even the most jaded uh, people ever would say in a space of three years, 100,000 people were converted to Jesus Christ in Wales. It's a dangerous thing to say you want that. It's a dangerous thing to pray towards that because it would certainly disrupt our lives. And it might even disrupt your life because maybe, well, I'll get to this in a second. So why this series? Next slide. Well, um, I came across this quote this week from Russell Moore, which I think expresses my own heart uh, coldness uh, and hardness probably better than anything else. Perhaps now is the time for evangelical, and I know that's another word that's weird that uh, has taken on all kinds of meanings, but I think you know what I mean. But perhaps now is the time for evangelical Christians to remember our calling. The rest of the body of Christ has so often relied on us to remind the church and the world of what Jesus said to an anxious teacher by night, you must be born again. Our human tendency in perilous or upsetting times, and I think this qualifies as a perilous or upsetting time, is to look for strategies to solve what we think is our problem. We want the basic facts of how to get from barrenness to life in ways we can understand. When we don't believe the Spirit is able to give life, to grant us the mind of Christ, to crucify the works of the flesh, and to produce fruit, then we don't call for him. We don't pray for him. Then a lifeless but angry church makes people wonder what it actually means to be born again. And so I think one of the things that I've realized over the last couple of years is uh, just how angry I am. Um, and trust me, I know many of you are, um, at all sorts of things. And one of the things that I've, I've, I, I have come to realize about that, you know, I've used this illustration before. My mother, when uh, we were, my dad bought her a gift once, and it was a little plaque with Linus on it that said, I love mankind, it's the people I can't stand. And so I realized about a year ago, I was having a conversation with Kevin where I said, I am very disenchanted with the church. I like the idea of the church, but these people in the church are killing me. Right? And he said to me, well, you know, that's, that's okay. You can be disenchanted with the people in the church but you're not disenchanted with Jesus. I'm not so sure I wasn't disenchanted with Jesus because after all, it's his church. 
and he put me in it, right? And so I think that's been an experience for, for many of us, right? So that we become this lifeless but angry church that makes people wonder what it actually means to be born again. You know, if you were to say to people, I'm born again, they might think that means, you know, you're looking, you're, you're just looking to pick a fight, right? Um, so that's one thing that I think is important for us to understand what it means to be born again. Secondly, I wonder, you know, and this has been something I've been, has bounced around in my mind for a long time, that so much of our effort as a church in teaching the gospel has been centered around this thing. And this is something we're big in as a denomination, is this thing called a world and life view, where you take uh, the, the biblical truth, which is true and which is good, and what we really say defines us as how we approach issues with that, societal, cultural issues with that. And I think that's a good thing. There's no doubt about it that we should do that. Uh, and there, you know, there's plenty uh, in uh, our world that we need to address with the truth of the gospel. But what I think happens to us often in that is, is that we become so focused upon that that we've forgotten what we're really about. And it tends to make us underemphasize passages like this that speak to us unequivocally of the absolute necessity that your involvement and, and membership in the kingdom of God is impossible unless by the Spirit of God you're born again. Maybe we've underemphasized passages like 1 Corinthians 13 that tell us what the nature of God's love is and how that's reflected in our lives with one another. Or maybe we've talked about that and neglected, you know, we were certainly interested in cultural issues, but we've forgotten what it means to be poor in spirit. So I hope we can get uh, a handle on that. Next slide. And I wonder, too, if many of us aren't like Nicodemus. Now, let me just say right at the outset, right, that every time one of the reasons why the gospel readings often miss us and their power slides away from us is because Jesus seems like he's always getting into a spat with the Pharisees. And so when you and I read about Jesus and the Pharisees, where do you locate yourself in that story? With Jesus against the Pharisees, right? So you're, you're like, go get those Pharisees. I know them. There's one right there. There's one right there. You know, I wish Jesus was talking to that guy, right? Right? I'm with you, Jesus. I'm right here behind you, pulling for you, buddy, right? When perhaps we've, the power of that misses us because we don't locate ourselves as who we are. Let's look at Nicodemus for a second, Right? Now, what we know is, is that Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I am impressed. You're something. Man, you're doing these great things. You talk a great game. You're attractive, man. Crowds of people are interested in you. You are a trendsetter. You're something. And what you would expect Jesus to say is, Man, thanks for that. 
I needed that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like me, you know? My brand, you know? It's a, it's, it's, it's a good thing. I talked recently with a church planner, a young guy who's going to be planting a church soon, and, and, you know, he was telling me about all the things that he was going to do well. I love talking to church planners, especially ones that haven't done it yet. And uh, I, he's like, what do you think about that? I'm like, you know, when I was in your spot, I just wanted people to show up because I was afraid nobody was going to show up. And I realized, you know, that's probably a pretty terrible way to function. Jesus doesn't care if anybody shows up. Right? I mean... When Nicodemus comes to him and says, you're impressive, Jesus was like, you must be born again or you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. Right? So I think uh, there's perhaps some of us like Nicodemus, right? Because we read in John chapter 2, now when he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in, uh, what was in man. You see, that's what, he knows exactly what Nicodemus is doing. Nicodemus is curious. Nicodemus is wondering like, what's going on here? And so he goes and he flatters Jesus and says, I know that this is, you know, God must have something to do with you. And Jesus cuts right to the quick. Listen, Nicodemus, you know, you need to be born again. And though it may seem abrupt, Jesus loves Nicodemus passionately. Now we'll see as we go through this series. John mentions uh, Nicodemus a couple of more times. And we'll see that the love of Christ, I think, ultimately reaches him. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is very direct. Next slide. And so I I fear that many of us might be more similar to Nicodemus than we realize. Because we have a lot of knowledge. Uh, The Pharisee, uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a ruler, but Jesus is unimpressed. What would happen... If someone who was a pastor or an elder or a deacon in this church stood up a week or two, a month or two, a year from now and said, I just got converted. Right? Now, because what I'm talking about here is, you know, it would be shattering at that, right? Because you would have to like, man, your, your reputation would be something else, right? If you did that, I mean, that would be pretty pretty crazy thing to happen. And I'm not trying to undermine anybody's confidence or undermine anything like that. But I do, say, I do think it is worth our while to stop a few moments every now and then and to ask ourselves, am I really converted? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, all believed and wrote and talked a lot about the fact that they believed in their churches there were a lot of people who came who were not converted. So don't fret 
I'm not going to call anybody out. Don't, don't fret. I'm not, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to call myself out. But the, the fact of the matter is, if you need to get converted, you're in the right place. And it's a good place to be. And no one's going to judge you if you become a Christian, uh, even though you've been an officer in the church for 20 years. I know that seems out of order, and it perhaps is, but it's better to be out of order than to be out of the kingdom. Right? Um, Jesus uses the word unless twice here in this text, and I think that should grab our attention, right? Uh, he doesn't mess around, right? He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, you must be born again. Now, <laughs> there are plenty of self-help books out there that are really good. And there are plenty of suggestions out there that are, are really good. Uh, but... What Jesus, and I, I, when I wrote these notes, I, uh, I was horrified after I sent them to Luke to realize I didn't put not up there. Uh, uh, Jesus did not offer suggestions or self-help. And maybe some self-help would do you some good. And maybe some suggestions would do you some good. But it won't get you in the kingdom of God. Maybe it'll make you happier and periodically more fulfilled if you just added this religious dimension to your lives. But Jesus in his love declares to us that Something must happen to us. It must, or we will not enter the kingdom of God. And here's the kicker. You can't make it happen. Can God require something of you that you cannot do? He does it all the time. And so, what are we to do with that? You and I need a real dose of desperation. Um, I say this around the staff all the time, that God loves a desperate man, a desperate woman, a desperate child. Martin Luther talked about that the, the person on the road to conversion is like a worm caught in a ring of fire. And the only escape is up. Our only escape is in and through the Spirit of God sweeping sovereignly through our lives and giving us the gift of faith, of new birth in Jesus Christ. And so I think it's, uh, it will be good for us as a church to kind of get back to basics about what it is that we are about and what it is that it means to actually be a Christian, a born-again 
Christian. Now, we, we have plenty of time to, we're going to define what all those terms mean, and I'm purposefully not defining them uh, uh, today because I want to leave in a little bit of tension, frankly, the tension of maybe God has something for me out of my control. Lastly, uh, Peter writes these words, uh, uh, which I think are kind of been guiding my prayers uh, as we think about what uh, the Lord's going to do over the next uh, several weeks is, he says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. It would be, ministerial malpractice on my part if I do not urge you and plead with you to consider Jesus' words. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the great news for us in that today is this, that Jesus knows you're here, knows the state of our hearts, uh, just as he did with Nicodemus. And my hope and my prayer as we gather before him today is that he will do, he is good and faithful to do that work in us, to meet the desperate in their need with rich and marvelous and free grace. And so now as we come to the table, we have an opportunity to see acted out in front of us this word that is imperishable, this word that is powerful, this word that by the Spirit gives life to the dead. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's confess our sins. Would you pray with me? Holy Lord, you have prepared your salvation in the presence of all peoples. Yet we confess that we have not followed the light of your word. We have not been consoled by your presence and have sought comforts of our own design. We have not sought your will or trusted your good news to be good. We have failed to rejoice at your son's coming and refused his peace on earth. We have hoped for little from you and the very thoughts of our hearts are revealed in the light of the glory of your great mercy toward us. Pray with me. Forgive our unbelief and renew us by your Holy Spirit.
that we might eagerly worship you, that we may watch and wait, and once more find the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to be our greatest joy. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 